This is the second message in a series we're in right now where uh, we are, uh, we call it wholehearted. That's gonna make sense by the end. Uh, But we're uh, explaining and unpacking our renewed mission and vision. You know, we've talked about this over the year. Fellowship Bible Church is 20 years old this year. Uh, in, uh, in dog years, I'd be 140 years old, we'd be ancient. But in church years, uh, y'all, we're just kind of coming out of the toddler stage. And as many of you would do in an organization or a, in any time in life, this is a good time to take stock, and we have. And we've stopped and we've said, okay, this is what God has done in and through us for 20 years, but we're gonna stop here and reevaluate, rethink, uh, pray, engage in a process wherein we look back at where we've been and, and we renew our mission, renew our values as we look forward to the next 20 years. And so that's what we're in. This is the second message. There'll be seven total. I hope you'll keep up with them as we go through them. If you're a guest and you're kind of going, oh, now we've come on a special day. They're having a business meeting. We're not having a business meeting. Uh, we are reviewing and we are actually renew, explaining our renewed mission and, and uh, values. And so it's a great time to visit. My goodness, you're, it's like our explore class. We have these every, you know, every couple of months, an explore class that someone new to fellowship would go to to learn about the church. Listen, you're getting the explore class uh, in this series. And I will tell you, rather than turning to a text and expositing it, I won't be doing that today. This is gonna feel much more like uh, that uh, get to know you class that we have. And we're doing it because it really really matters. I think you'll see that as I move through our message today. Two things before I talk about these core values. The first is the process. Uh, We want you to know that what I'm gonna present to you in terms of five core values of our church came out of a process that started last December. There's 13 people that, that took the time over these months to look at where we've been, to look at our unique passions and giftings, to listen to the body. If you'll recall, back in the early uh, spring, we all did a survey, literally in this service. Everyone filled out a survey, so we took your feedback. Uh, We tried to identify where are we in God's time and place here in this this geography that we're in. And you put all that together and out of it, we, we, we said, Lord, what, what are the values that have guided us and how do we need to renew, change, adapt those for where you are taking us and moving us forward? Now, I want you to know the rough draft of these values was, was vetted and, and engaged by 300 of you Uh, over four meetings since December. I know everybody in the room wasn't in there, but we had 300 leaders in various areas of ministry that we would present these to, we would get feedback, we'd wrestle with it, we'd go, is that quite right? And so it's a process that we have been to. These do not come out of thin air and truly uh, we would say, we believe this is where the spirit of God has led us as a community of faith. So that's the process. The second thing I wanna say about these core values is the meaning. Now I'm gonna camp on this a bit because it's really, really important. Uh, What are core values? Well, it's self-defining at, at, at one level, isn't it? They're core, they're, they're things that are really important at the center of 
and their values. They, they matter. They really, really matter. Core values. Um, I want to show you how we define them in this way as a church. You're going to see some slides pop up on the screen all through this message because we'll put this on the website. You don't have to write it all down. I want you to listen. Core values, what are they? Here's how we would define core values. Core values are shared biblical convictions that guide and shape all that we are and all that we do. Biblical convictions that, sh- that guide and shape all that we are and all that we do. Uh, core values are like the scent of the church. Um, my kids, uh, my wife, Lisa, they don't, they don't wonder whether or not I've gone to see my good friend David Arms or not one day. Because if I go to David's studio or I go to his gallery, he's got these candles burning that are just this luscious scent. And so when I walk in the door, Darden will go, you were with Mr. Arms today. Because the scent's all over me. Core values, when individually embraced by every member of a church, embrace us and we smell like the values so that wherever you are, look, it doesn't have to be in these walls or on this campus or on the Franklin campus. I'm talking, you run into someone and if you're a member at fellowship, they will sense in you these core values even though they may never read them. They never even know what they are. They just feel them. That's what core values are intended to do. And that's what these five values, in a sense, have done and will do for us as we move forward. It's, um, this is gonna sound like a hard right turn, but, but stay with me. It's bow season. That means nothing to anyone except my son and three other people in the room, wherein we can, uh, we can go deer hunting you know, with our bows. And so uh, I've got up here, this is not my guitar, you know, this is, this is my bow. And um, what I've got is, a, is, a, is an arrow that, that we hunt with and I, and I want, I'm speaking now about core values and I want you to understand this. Um, you know, bow hunting, it's really pretty simple. It's, it's about putting this arrow, you know, shooting this arrow and it going straight uh, into to, to, to whatever you're hunting, whatever you're, you're shooting at. Um, when you're bow hunting for deer, is what we, we're bow hunting for, uh, I've got what's on, this arrow is a, called a broadhead, which is three razor sharp, uh, it's an arrow with three razor blades that come to a point, it's called a broadhead. And uh, what we're trying to do is trying to aim this at a spot on a deer that's honestly about the size of my hand. It's about, it's a size, it's a spot about that big on the animal. And so when you look at that at 30 yards, it looks like a quarter, it's tiny. And so, you know, the object is to pull back, shoot and and hit that spot. Now I want you to know when, when a broadhead hits that spot, it doesn't kill the deer. It harvests the deer. No one thought that was funny. It harvests the deer. For those who are having trouble with this illustration, it's like picking an apple, so to speak, okay? Um, but with the, with, the, with the bow, what matters is that the arrow flies fast and straight. And I wanna tell you something. If the arrow doesn't have what's on the back called fletchings, 
it will not fly straight and true. It will not hit the target. That's these little vein-like things. You had them on your little cowboy Indian bow when you were little. Usually feathers right here. And this is what keeps the, the arrow in line and on line. Now with that, listen, core values are to our mission as a church what these fletchings are to this arrow. So as a church, we have a mission we're moving toward. We have a target, the glory of God making disciples. And there's a unique way we'll do it. Rob's gonna unpack that next week and then I will the week after. It takes two messages to unpack our mission. But at the, at the, the purpose of the church is to glorify God and make disciples a target. We have this mission that's moving towards that. It's unique to us, unique to every church. And for us to stay on that mission, we've gotta have fletchings on the arrow. And that's what core values are. I have practiced this, so do not get nervous. And I have said, I am gonna put this arrow in the back wall. It's a broad head that I trust, I, I mean this, it will go through the concrete. I would never do this in a million years. <laughs> we would all be, you know, that arrow, look at the razor blade. You know, you're going, oh my gosh, don't do it. I'm not gonna do it, but because I really want you to understand this, I've got my Z-Force bow from Walmart. And I really have practiced this. So here's my arrow. Now, be, I really don't want to hurt anybody, but it's a Nerf arrow. So hang in there. If, if you just let it hit you, it won't hurt you, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to shoot the first one with my Z-Force bow, and I'm going to put it right at the camera person. So this is going to freak them out all the way to the back wall. But now notice, I've got fletchings on this arrow, right? So if I, if I aim, and again, I've done this already in the first service, all the way to that wall, you know? And it's like a little missile going back there, right? But here's the problem, and this is the one you need to be wary of, is the one with no fletching. <laughs> and this is where I'm saying, if you'll just remain calm and let it hit you. If you try and dodge it, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna pull a muscle or something. So let's just let this one happen, okay? And I, I do know this, it's not gonna get to y'all and it's not gonna, it's gonna be somewhere right here that this is gonna hit, but it has no fletchings. It's a mission with no values. And we have the most important mission on the planet. We dare not miss it. And so this is the, the hang on. I went a little easy because I didn't want it to hit too hard, but you'll notice it will go sideways. So our core values, why, why are we taking the time to talk about core values? Because the core values are the fletching on the arrow of our mission. They really, really matter. With that, uh, we're collecting the arrow. Someone grabbed it, grabbed it there, someone got that one. Um, they really matter. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move through them. I'm gonna hit five core values. The first one I'm gonna take the most time on. They are we statements because we either own them or we don't. And if we don't own them, I'll say this in the kindest of ways, then, then you're, not on, you're not in the mission of this church, okay? This unique church, this unique expression of God's body, the church. First and foundational core value is we are word-centered we are word-centered. These will all be up on the wall. We'll talk about a definition and we'll talk about demonstrated by. Look at the definition of this. We are word-centered because God has revealed himself through the written word. 
and the living word. We place the Bible and Jesus at the center of all that we are and everything that we do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reads, just listen, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This verse is the foundational verse for what's called the doctrine of inspiration. That word, all scripture is inspired. That word is literally God breathed. And the doctrine of inspiration recognizes that while these 66 books have 40 different authors, each one was God breathed his word through them by the person of the Holy Spirit. They recorded the specific letters and words and messages in each one of those books such that this book is unlike any book on the planet It is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible, sufficient word from God that he has given us for all matters of life and faith. And all that we do and all that we are, I want to assure you, is absolutely centered on this word. Without this word, we would not know who to worship, what to worship. We wouldn't know why we're here, where we're going. We'd have nothing And this is everything. This is all that God needed to communicate to us. It's sufficient for life and faith. We are gonna demonstrate that we're word-centered in these ways. Look again at the screens on the side. By submitting to the authority of scripture in all matters of life and faith. By practicing expository preaching as our primary means of teaching the scripture. By equipping and encouraging all to personally read understand and apply the Bible daily and by pointing people to Jesus through every book of the Bible. I want you to know in the coming years, you will hear us, you will see us. We will together be exhorting and encouraging and equipping each other in in one simple way that's baseline to be in this Bible every day. Not legalistically, we're not gonna keep track of it, but there is no life, there is no growth apart from time in God's word, you see it here. I wanna say a word about expository preaching. What is expository preaching? We say it a lot. I want you to know through the years, I have said what it is and I've been, a, I've been right, but I've not been totally right. I've, I've, I've misled you maybe in some ways. I want to clarify that now. Because oftentimes, and I've said it many times, I've said, look, we do expository teaching, which means we, we open the Bible and we go book by book, verse by verse. That's, that's a part of expository preaching or teaching, but that's not the whole. Let me, let me talk about the, the core of expository preaching. I'm going to put a definition on the screen. It's long. All this is going to be on the website. But if it's, it's one of the ways that we demonstrate that we're word-centered, we need to understand what it is. Notice this, expositional preaching. This is from a number of definitions because you'll see different ones everywhere. Expositional preaching grounds the message in a historical, grammatical, and literary understanding of the text in its context as the author intended the original audience to understand. Well, that's a mouthful. Let me, let me simplify it. It just simply says this book is grammatical, it's historical, and it's literary. And so that's how we need to approach it. And we approach this Bible when we open and we begin to study. We're not asking, what does it mean to me? We're asking first, what did the original author intend it to mean to the original audience? That expository teaching grounds itself in that. It doesn't go anywhere apart from starting there. 
And then note, only then is the ancient text brought to the current context for practical application, which will always find its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. What does that mean? It means we take that which the author intended for the original audience, we identify the timeless principle from that that's true for us today, we choose to live it, and we understand that every application finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So you'll hear Rob and I when we teach, and we could be anywhere in this book, and, and you go, how did they get to Jesus from there? Because the whole book's about Jesus. And if we're talking about stewardship and, and it's like, okay, so the Bible says, you know, we need to give 10%. Ultimately, the fulfillment of that is not, hey, give 10%. The ultimate fulfillment is that because Jesus gave all, because Jesus is the fulfillment of God in our life. That's why we choose to give in that way. Jesus answers every application and you'll see us teach that way such that we come back at the end of a message and we identify, okay, what's the application here? Ultimately, it will be tied thematically to the person and work of Jesus all the time. One of the ways to understand expositional preaching is maybe to understand what it's not. And when I give this example, understand I am not diminishing a different way to teach and sometimes we do this, but I'm trying to help us understand our primary way that if you're a guest, just know this is how we teach the Bible, primarily is expositional preaching. Here's what's not expositional preaching, and it's still teaching and it's fine. Take the story of David. You know, we got the story of David in 1 Samuel. Some may teach this and say, you know, we're gonna look today at five principles of leadership. Or it may be, you know, let's go to the book of First Samuel and we're gonna read the story of David because here we have the, the five stages to be a man. And, and, you know, it could be you go through and go, well, notice that David, first of all, obeyed his father. So a leader is first a follower. And then you notice David didn't wear Saul's armor because a leader has to be comfortable in their own skin. This is all true, it's okay, it's, it's okay. Or it's like, and then notice that David ran toward Goliath because a leader, what? Runs toward a problem. You know, there, that's true and that's, that's some application. That's not expositional teaching. For what expositional teaching would say is, we look at the story of David and we ask the question, why did Samuel record this? Why did God see to it that this story is in our Bible? And what did Samuel mean to the original audience when he recorded it? And we begin to see that it's a story always of redemption. And we notice that there's this boy, David, one man delivers the whole nation. Man, that sounds like somebody coming later. Uh, there's this, it's, it seems like foolishness that the, that the foolishness of man, they all called him foolish. And yet he, by his foolishness, saved everyone. Who does that sound like? You see, so we take that and we go, Samuel recorded this for redemptive history. Now there's leadership's lessons in here. But we can't get to the leadership lessons until we get what the original author intended. That's expositional teaching and that's our commitment because we are word-centered. 
The next four flow right out of the scripture. Secondly, we are spirit dependent. Spirit dependent, notice the definition, because we cannot do anything apart from Jesus and he has given us his spirit who empowers us to fulfill his mission. We will depend wholly on the spirit to do in and through us greater works than he did. Those are the words of Jesus. Demonstrated by, how does this show up in fellowship in your life and mine? By equipping people to understand what it means to be filled with and walk with the spirit. We spent three weeks on this last fall after studying Acts to say, y'all, we can't, you, you cannot live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, the person, the third person of the Trinity who lives in you. And being filled with the Spirit is something that happens over and over and it happens as we depend on the Spirit. I'm gonna trust the Spirit to lead, lead me, to guide me, to strengthen me. We've got to understand that. Secondly, demonstrated by growing as a prayerful people who truly pray without ceasing. Please know, as we move into these next 20 years and we talk about being a prayerful people, it's not just about having a prayer night or 40 days of prayer and fasting. It's about being a praying people. And it's demonstrated when you and I, it's not when just, it's demonstrated when we pray with one another as a part of life so that you're standing here talking with a friend and they mention something to you and you say, I'll pray for you. Rather than say, I'll pray for you, you say, let's pray right now. You're walking to your car and you're standing by the car and someone says something to you and they say, you say, well, uh, gosh, I'm sorry, that's really tough. Uh, I hope you all have a good, no, you say, well, can we pray about that? See, that, this, that's, that's what I'm talking about is when we pray in that way because we're recognizing we can't do anything apart from the spirit who lives in us. It is... Believing God for what only he can do and acting by faith on that belief. Listen, if your life and my life is explainable, have we trusted God for what only he can do or have we done what we can do? So even as Lindsay said, what kind of prayers are we asking boldly? What kind of steps of faith are we taking? Are they explainable or are they unexplainable in human terms? If it's the spirit of God at work in and through us, it's unexplainable, but for him. And we'll demonstrate it by continually shifting our trust from our own resources to God and his promises. If I say it like this, being spirit dependent is recognizing that every one of us, like Humpty Dumpty, had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And all of your effort, all of your wisdom, all of my strength, all of, whether it's science or psychology or anything, anything that, that man can bring to the table cannot put you and I back together again. Cannot. But the spirit of God and the word of God and the living word Christ himself, he puts you and I back together again. We are word-centered, we are spirit-dependent, and third, we are better together. We are better together. Here's how we define it. You'll see on the screen, because God himself exists in eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and made us in his image, we refuse to go it alone in life or in leadership, but rather we go together pursuing relationships marked by kind-hearted humility and mutual dependence. This will be demonstrated at fellowship in these ways by pursuing healthy team ministry, knowing that one person has all the gifts. If you're a guest here, you, you know, we have a team teaching 
we do team teaching because not one person has all the gifts. And so you'll see Rob and I teaching and others that'll teach sporadically uh, throughout a year. We make group interaction a priority in every learning environment. Please know if you're in a study or in a group somewhere, we're gonna be inviting you to interact in that group, not just sit there and listen and get everything you know, poured into your head. It means calling at least one, calling all to at least one group setting where you are known and known by others. It's if possible so far as it depends on you being at peace with all men. These are things that will demonstrate we are better together. Let me say this. When people say to me, well, why do I need to be in a small group? My answer is because God is in a small group. And I'm serious when I say that. Father, Son, and Spirit. We're made in his image. We're made to be with others. It's just a fact. And I don't, we don't guilt people into this by any means, but we exhort you. You, you need to be in a group. Uh, it's not, you only have to be in this particular group or that group. The point is you've got to walk in life with others. You gotta be in some context where you are known by others and others know you. That is a spiritual reality and fact. And so that's why I say even here, we call everyone to be at least one in one group. You've gotta be somewhere where you're known and others know you. We are word-centered, we are spirit-dependent, we are better together, fourth, we are courageously real. Courageously real. Now I gotta say this, because I didn't say it in the other service. The, the, the phrase that I liked and I was using with you guys for a while is, you remember when I kept saying uncomfortably real? That got nixed. People didn't like that. They said, Lloyd, that's too far. Don't make it. And I'm like, no, man, you gotta be uncomfortable to be real. No, 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 we can't. We, so, so it's courageously real. Definition, because our sinful tendency is to hide what is true about us and because Jesus condemned hypocrisy, hypocrisy, presenting one thing that being, but being another. In the strongest terms, we choose to take off the mask and rest in our true identity in Christ, being honest about the struggles and joys in the life of faith, demonstrated by, how will you see this, how we live it? Leadership vulnerability, leaders and teachers being real about our own struggles and joys in faith, by providing safe environments for people to be appropriately vulnerable and honest, starting in this room when we gather by making all psalm types. What do you mean psalm type? There are types of psalms. It's a hymn book. There are different types of hymns. And it means making all the types, lament, praise, thanksgiving, the royal messianic, the king, kingly psalms, uh, the wisdom psalms, the imprecatory psalms, which are really tough. Those are the ones that kind of say, you know, crush their heads, you know, what is that? What do we, what do, we do with that? We're gonna make all the psalm types integral to our public and private worship, and then th fourth, grounding our faith in our true identity in the gospel and in Christ, freeing us from the need to hide behind a false ideal. Why would we, as a church, not every church is gonna have these. That's why you know, every church is unique. That's why there's so many churches around here. It's not a bad, bad thing, it's a good thing. 
We all don't listen to the same radio stations, you know, and we all don't worship in the same way. But I'm gonna tell you, if you're gonna be at fellowship, these values are gonna drive us. I mean, this value is gonna keep the arrow straight. And one of them is to be courageously real. This is how we're gonna live. When we finished the book of Ecclesiastes two weeks ago, I took a microphone and I stepped down amongst you and we had these microphones. I said, who would like to share how God has changed them through the book of Ecclesiastes? I know that the number one fear of every human being is public speaking. And I would never expect, if you're here 20 years, that everyone in this room will one day stand up and speak to everyone. That's not why we do that, because you won't. It's okay. But some will. And when they do, what they share shifts something in them and in those who hear and the courage it takes to stand up in this room and take off the mask and say, this is who I am. Let me tell you, that is the Christian life in the community of faith. And you weren't in all the services, I was. You know, the different people spoke in different services. It wasn't a lot of people, but it was the ones who the spirit led to speak. And I'm telling you, when, when a mom stood up and she said, I've been raising my kids, I made that choice, but now my kids are leaving the nest and I'm getting ready to step into the work environment and I'm running into these things in the work environment and it's making me question, do I, do I not? What have I done? I'm telling you, her words resonated with so many women in the room. And her courage to say that gave them the courage to know, I'm not alone. This is hard, this choice. And the young lady who stood up and said, I, I uh, went through a depression and uh, thank goodness, you know, I came out of that depression and been doing well, but I'm slipping back in and I'm struggling with depression. And the courage for a single young lady to say in front of 500 people, I struggle with depression, I wanted to say, me too, and I have, because I do. And she had come to learn that depression is like alcoholism. It's, it's like having a disease, it's like cancer. Look, you don't get over it and maybe you're done forever per se. No, it's something that you'll struggle with your whole life. And she was courageous enough to tell us that it's just killing, it's so difficult for her to know now. This is not something I'm done with. This is something I'll wrestle with my whole life. And I assure you, myself included, there were others in that room who may never say something publicly who in their hearts went, I'm not the only one. I'm telling you that is to be courageously real. And I hope you see that modeled in Rob, myself, others who lead your elders. The Christian life is a mess. It's awesome. It's awful. It's great. It's gory. It's all the above. And we'll live it together. We are word-centered. We are spirit-dependent. We are better together. We are courageously real. And finally, we are not about ourselves defined in this way because we were made for God's glory and not our own, because Jesus most fully glorified God in his own service and sacrifice, we will live for God's glory and the good of others. It'll be demonstrated in these ways by making decisions based on the priority of God's glory and purposes 
instead of our own, by leveraging our money, time, and resources with radical generosity, by cultivating a clear outward focus toward those who do not yet know Jesus, by proactively looking for opportunities to speak for those who have no voice, stand up for the poor and destitute, and do justice for all who are oppressed. I do not know what you think about the Nike ads with Colin Kaepernick, if those of you who know about these ads are pretty you know, out there. But uh, I've got the ad up here and, and it's a statement that I'm, I think is really good, quite frankly. This is Colin Kaepernick's the football player who first kneeled during the anthem. Let's not go there and d- agree or disagree on that. Um, but he knelt and it cost him his job. No NFL team has picked him up. Nike's picked up on that and used him in an ad wherein they say, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. Wow, that's almost biblical. The biblical invitation would go like this. Believe in someone who invites you to sacrifice everything. Not an even if or it may, it is believe in someone who, who, who is inviting you to sacrifice everything. It, it isn't, the Christian life is not, um, uh, Jesus, you got a lot of me. God, uh, you got most of me. The, Christ, the Christian life, not the special Christian life, not the missionary life, the Christian life is God, you have all of me, all that I am, all that I have is yours. And here's why it's the only way to live. Because when all that you are and all that you have is his and you know it, only then do we experience that all that he is and all that he has is ours. I mean, you can read about it and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But until it's an experience in our life where it's like, God, it's all that I am, all that I have is yours. We, we taste and see that all that he is and all that he has is ours, which is why Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, for whoever wants to save their life, look, you wanna have life and you wanna make it your life, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. We are not about ourselves, and it constantly reminds us. See, I I like the negative edge on that, quite frankly. Some people say, that's kind of negative. I go, I like the negative, because I am so darn selfish, just like you. And we have this flesh in us that's always bent toward me, and I live with it, and so I want to be reminded, not about myself. That's what the Christian life is. It reminds us that true life, abundant life, listen, the life God wants for us. You notice the song we sang, I say yes to all you want for me. Don't you love it that Carl and that team wrote the song and they didn't say, I say yes to all you want me to do. It's not what we sing. We sing, I say yes for all you want for me. It's not Jesus, Jesus wants something from us. It's, he wants something for us and he shows us the path toward that. It's death to self. It's not about ourselves and we live by giving away our lives for God's glory and the good of others. So there's the five core values. I'll leave them up on the screen. 
core values are shared biblical convictions that guide and shape all that we are and all that we do. We are word-centered. We are spirit-dependent. We are better together. We are courageously real and we are not about ourselves. We will respond to those with a reflection and a very concrete example wherein we see these values expressed. I'm gonna ask the ushers to come forward and we are gonna take the Lord's table. Uh, All this will be on the website. I want you to take the bread and the cup and hold it. If you have placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, this table is for you. If you have not and you're considering Is it today that you would put your faith in Christ? Then do and partake of the table. But if you haven't, I'm gonna ask you to to participate by listening and you're here for a reason. Listen to the voice of God, the spirit of God that may speak to you. But uh, the table is for those who have trusted Christ. So if you're a guest and you've trusted Christ, take the bread, take the cup and hold it. We'll take it together. I'm gonna invite the band out because we are gonna sing a song in a moment. And here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you time to reflect. As you hold the bread in the cup, I want you to look up and I want you to look at those core values. And I want you to ask yourself, are they mine? I want you to ask yourself, can I say yes to those? If you can't, then then, um, ask God to help you say yes. I think they're biblical. I don't think any of them are off in that way. Maybe you don't like a certain word, but if you, if you ultimately can't say yes to those values, if I can say this in the gentlest of ways, um, you're gonna be out of step with this church. That's okay, because I promise you there's a church in this community that you will be in step with, a good church. That's why there's more than one of us churches. But I want you to know these are our core values. And if you're a part of fellowship, then, then that means they're your core values. It's okay if you can't engage them, but it'll be difficult to be at fellowship. That's what I would say to you. Maybe one of these values is on your mind and the spirit kind of impressed something on you. I, I would just say, pay attention to the spirit. He's the one who teaches. Maybe he's got some action step that he wants you to take regarding these. So take a moment. We'll take the elements together in a moment, reflect upon these values.
The Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me and giving thanks they ate. Father, we do give thanks for the son whose body was broken on our behalf that ours would not be broken. Who gave, what else could he give? He gave himself, he gave his all, he gave everything he was. And in this we see our example of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Take and eat the bread now. Jesus continued. He said, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. They gave thanks for the blood that Christ shed. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood poured out that cleanses us from all our sins. That blood doesn't make us white as snow because of the color of the blood. It makes us white as snow because blood is life. And you poured out your life. And the wrath of God was poured out upon you for our sins so that it wouldn't be poured out on us. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your blood on our behalf. Take and drink. Jesus said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we go to the Lord's table, we are not just doing something for ourselves. We are doing something by which we remember and we're proclaiming something, you see, in this act that we do, that he's coming back. I want us to stand together. We'll conclude in song. May I say to you, that Jesus himself was word-centered. He did nothing but that which he heard the Father say to do. May I say to you that Jesus himself was spirit-dependent. Luke writes that God the Father anointed him with the spirit and with power. Can I say to you that Jesus himself was better together? He came and he did not remain alone, pouring himself into the 12, into the three, such that you and I could know him today. Jesus was courageously real. He never hid his heart, his emotions, his life, his, his full being, and sweat poured out of him like blood when he, when he cried, facing the cross, the courage to let his vulnerability be known. And Jesus was not about himself. As Mark says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. All of those five values, all of that, that, that Jesus demonstrated come to fullest expression where? In the cross. In the cross, you see. We see those most fully. And may we be like Paul who would declare, may I boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. 
wherein my Savior redeemed me. This is where our core values come from. The very cross of Christ of which we sing. Paul writes and reminds us, and I send you out with his words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Before you leave the building, and if you don't do it today, do it next week, sometime soon, we're asking everyone to sign the wall out in the arcade when you started coming to fellowship. So the years out there, grab a marker, sign your name, adults and kids. God bless.